welcome back to PHP Town Hall. This is episode 11, so we've made it past that 10 episode milestone. And today we're doing something a little different. It's just going to be me, Bennett, and Phil Sturgeon chatting. Uh, no guests today, so it'll be uh, a little more personal, and uh, yeah, you'll get to hear more of Phil's accent. So let's get Yay. And the best thing, I mean, the most exciting thing isn't that it's episode 11 or that it's just me and you having a little chat. The most exciting thing is we've actually bought some fucking microphones. So <laughs> that's probably a win for the uh, the entire fan base. Um, <laughs> like I had a really good microphone and uh, it's the stupidest thing, I lost the cable for it. So for the last year, I've just been using shit knockoff uh, iPhone headphones if I have them or occasionally just using my built-in microphone. And uh, I think everyone's noticed the sound hasn't been wonderful. So, yay, I've got a new cable, and it's all set up. I've, got, I've even got a pop filter. So, uh, so I've got all the things. And you've got a pretty slick-looking mic yourself. I think it was kind of funny. We both randomly bought things for mics without consulting the other one at all. And so, awesome sound. No, no. Hopefully. You're meant to say it's because uh, it's because we've hit five million users and we've been given a huge amount of sponsorship that we've gone out and bought the best microphones available to man. That's why we did it. Shh. Which, by the way, if you want to send us a huge amount of money, we'll buy better mics. Right, but we won't necessarily say that your company's any good unless it is. Oh, so. you get nothing for it. You just get yeah. like, our voices. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say thank you on Twitter. <laughs> mm. All right, so I hear you had something exciting happen. Oh yeah, no, it wasn't going to be a thing. Um, I I was cycling home, and obviously I'm in New York, which is the worst place to cycle ever. And uh, cycling home, and I saw some lady completely take out this other random lady who was walking down the road. Now uh, she was um, she was cycling along on a city bike, and luckily the pedestrian's absolutely fine. But this woman smashed her face in. She was bleeding from the head. She lost like a pint of blood. Okay, I had to, hold like, on, hold on. just to build the picture here. <laughs> So the person that was taken out was walking. Yes, so someone was crossing the. The taking out was in a car. Or on a no, bike? on a on a city bike. They're like public okay. bikes. They're really bad, heavy monstrosities. Those blue ones, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the uh, the woman who was walking along was absolutely fine. I think she just carried on walking. I don't know what happened to her. I was focusing on the woman that was lying in the middle of the road. Now I was <laughs> I was thinking I don't. Re this was like just as I came over, like just before we started podcasting, which is why I'm talking about it now. Um, but I was thinking, like, oh, shit, I better help out because, you know, cyclists always help each other. Uh, ran over, and then I, I noticed there were high heels all over the road. So I picked up her high heels and picked up her bike and moved it across the side. And I thought the high heels were from the woman that had been hit. But the woman on the fucking bike was wearing high heels, which I'd assume is a large part as to why she crashed the damn thing. She wasn't wearing, she wasn't wearing a helmet. She, uh, she smashed her face in. I had to, like, uh, wipe, like go and get towels and wipe, her, wipe blood off her face and keep her... Keep her uh, we got some alcohol from the deli over the road, like some, you know, proper alcohol stuff, and put it on some kitchen towels and held it against her head for a fucking while until the ambulance wow. got there. It was really crazy. Okay, um, so how did she get hurt worse than the walking woman? I don't know. I guess she just, I think she must have just clipped her. So, like, you know, if someone hits your arm on a bike, that whole bike is going over, but you might not necessarily care. It just seemed like the craziest thing. Um, like, this woman's face was fucked up. She was a 46-year-old on a city bike with no helmet, wearing high heels. And she was, you know, like a zombie, man. It was pretty, it was crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I had a little bike crash a few weeks ago, but it was nowhere near that fun. I just, I 
totally misjudged where the edge of the curb was and yeah. uh, went flying off the bike and busted my knee up. But. That sucks. Yeah. Well, I just, I wanted to get that off my chest because it was fucking mental. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess we're here to talk about code. <laughs> so we can, we can try that. Um, what's the first thing we're talking about today, Ben? What are we, what are we doing? Uh, well, I guess I made a recent job change. Ooh, which is going mildly interesting. Um, yeah, so I'm actually going back to the company I used to work for. Huh. And uh, we'll be doing insurance and medical software again. So I'm actually pretty that, excited about is that. Is that Mindfulware? Yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah, so that should be fun. Okay. Why Why the change? What's going on? Board of freelancing? Uh, just, I wasn't freelancing, actually. I was working with Mike Wells. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it was government stuff, and I um, just got kind of bored and, you know, wanted some excitement back in my life. <laughs> so you went to work with in medical insurance systems. That's uh, it's actually pretty fun, pretty fun challenges in that area. Well, I remember when your boss tried to make me convert Nagios to work with Postgres, and... Yeah. Uh, and and it turns out that's completely impossible, and the core developers said that I shouldn't <laughs> even bother trying. So I guess there are some fun challenges in the job. <laughs> Definitely fun challenges. I was like, dude, this can't be done. He's like, well, if you can't if you can't rise to the challenges put in front of you, there's no place for you here. I was like, fuck you, man. It's not possible. <laughs> hey, uh, but he's a very if nice. If you were guy. better, maybe you would come back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll just learn C tomorrow. Um, no, that's that's pretty cool though. That's exciting that you're back there. So, uh, you, um, so what are you doing? Mostly PHP stuff there, or a whole mix of shite? Or? Yeah, mostly PHP. A lot of JavaScript though. Well, I, I should say mostly JavaScript. Yeah. So, but uh, you know, plain client side stuff. No Node yet. We are uh, looking, no Node yet. Looking at Angular, and so that'll that'll kind of ease nodes away into our workflow with the dev stuff, and then we'll see where it goes from there. Okay, that's cool. Um, I mean, I've I've still been working in the same place. Capture's doing fairly well. Um, got uh, got a new junior developer working under me, um, and we've just got a new iPhone dev as well. So uh, I've I've spent the entire day pretending to be an iPhone developer, getting the uh, the Xcode like iPhone simulator set up. So now instead of pissing around with like Postman um, extensions to to hit up the API, I've, I'm just actually clicking buttons on the simulator. It's so much nicer. It's so much better. I can just, you know, I've got I've got the iPhone pointing to Charles. Charles is pointing to my Vagrant box. Uh, so I've got the actual iPhone dev build on my iPhone, and I'm making tweaks to the PHP backend and fucking around with all the the workers and stuff, and then just like clicking buttons on an iPhone screen is so much better. So, like so thanks. So yeah. you're using Vagrant. Oh, okay. So you're just doing mobile. You're not doing Objective. Uh, what? Are you doing Objective-C or are you just doing mobile? How yes, so the, the the iPhone application itself is full-on Objective-C, um, and I'm developing the API backend for it. So uh, until we've had this guy working with us, like I've just been manually hitting the dev API with like a HTML client thing. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah, well, it's, it's pretty handy. I've used Postman, and I've got a saved collection. So um, it's like a, our our postman collection is like a like documentation, um, essentially because we don't have any actual docs yet. Fuck it, it's private. Um, and pretty much what we do is whenever we make a new endpoint, we create a uh, 
we, we like save save that request and then just hit send and it gives us a response hit send it gives us a response and then we can like modify it and stuff so we've been doing that which is mostly fine like if you want to have like save these settings then you've got a saved url with a saved uh json http body with the saved headers and then you just send it and it does it right so it's not that hard and if you want to get the settings you hit get settings and it does that when it get when it gets absolutely horrible is when you have to do things like um so to capture a moment to check into an actual location um use there are two requests there's a post request which sends the metadata and there's a put request which sends the raw body of the image um so doing that uh sending the post request is easy you just send it and that's great but then the second request the url is based on the first one right so you 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 make a post to moments and then it says this is moment 35 or whatever and you get the id back so then you have to send the put to moments slash 35 slash image which is a bit annoying because that's a manual two-step process imagine changing a little bit of code and then doing two things that's annoying the worst part is trying to send a raw, uh, the raw image through Postman because you're like taking binary data and then throwing it into a text box in, in a, like a Chrome extension and hitting send. That's then doing all sorts of encoding bullshit to it. And even though you send the image slash JPEG MIME type, it's just completely broken. So when you, well, I have to like make this special bit of PHP which uses some like guzzle functions to to send the image up and it's just so much fucking around so now I can literally look at my iPhone and click click a few buttons and it just does everything exactly as I want it to and I can just like tail the logs and see what's going on oh, so uh, yeah having the iPhone developers really helped us out in that in that respect nice. yeah. yeah I don't I don't know how much of that was even PHP related but it's uh, it's all well, it's all coding. It's all. I think can, most of us do more than just PHP. Probably rare good, to find someone good. that only touches PHP in there. Watch. Yeah, yeah, that would be a really boring person to talk to. Um, yeah, well, there's that. So that's fun, and we've just I've just been fighting with getting Jenkins to run Behat against those endpoints as well. So I've like I've set it up so that I use Laravel seeding to create a whole bunch of data records, uh, that, uh, some of which are random, some of which I know are going to be there. Um, and then uh, the behat tests run against those known pieces of data. Um, whenever whenever we push something up to GitHub, to it then gives Jenkins a little poke and says, you want to run them behat things against that latest version of the code and then find out if anything broke. So that's the other stuff I've been working on. And I'd actually, uh, I was talking to a friend about behat a couple of days ago and started looking into it. I've never used it before. Right. It looks perfect for some testing I need to get done. Yeah, man. I'd never used it before I started working at Capture. I'd seen a couple of posts. Um, Chris Connacht did a good one about testing fuel with it, and um, um, uh, grumpy programmer Chris Hartjes did another post about kind of testing APIs in general. I felt like, um, although they might have done a lot of really good work with them themselves, the, the examples felt a bit like they stopped short of, of fully showing you how to actually do everything with it. So I kind of I read the blog post and thought, fuck yeah, I want to do this, but I wasn't sure how to actually do it properly. You know, I, I guess it's just a problem of like having apples and oranges examples instead of actual real world working examples. Um, but I hired uh, Ben Corlett to uh, to do it for for Capture, and he made this amazing set of uh, functions and features because you have this whole features context, right? Like this this one, you have this PHP file which contains methods and 
you say this piece of text matches up with this method because it follows, you have a little annotation that says, given I send X and do Y, then something else should happen, right? So for each one of those lines, you match that up with a regex annotation and then it applies it to that method. And he just made the slickest set of those methods for, for an API. So I'll try and, I'll try and um, paste him up to you or get him over. But um, That'd be helpful. Yeah. You'd be like, I expect a 404 and uh, here is some JSON and uh, in this JSON that should be an array and these properties should exist and all that shit. It's really good. Hell yeah. Alright, so something else not coding is uh, I heard you had fun with your first solo skydive. <laughs> yeah, thanks for bringing that up, dick. Um, <laughs> so calling uh, it a solo skydive is a, is a little misleading. The um, I've basically only been well, I've now been four times ever. That was my fourth jump. Uh, and basically, if you're trying to get qualified, the first three are uh, like tandem. So you're like you know on you got a dude on your back for those. Uh, and then when you get to the fourth one, they you jump with your own rig, but they jump like they're holding on to you. They've got their hands in your uh, in your harness before you jump and they're like locked in. So as you go down, they can like still help you out. You're still looking for their uh, like hand signals to make sure you're doing shit right. And um, and they kind of like they're there to instruct you and, you and you keep doing that until you've had like 15 jumps and then and then they just jump near you and stuff like that. Uh, so this one was a fucking shambles. Uh, the only, the only, the only thing I didn't screw up was I managed to not kill myself. Um, <laughs> but everything else about the whole situation was fucked. Basically, like in my head, there was no, uh, there was no idea of what I was meant to do when I jumped out of the plane. <laughs> well, like immediately afterwards, because when you jump tandem, uh, you jump and then. Uh, have you ever done a tandem jump? No. Um, all right. Uh, when, when you jump out, like. There's, there's kind of a few stages in the jump, right? And you're in the plane shitting yourself, and then you're kind of just coming out of the plane, and you're a little That's bit stage confused. one. Yeah, st- stage one is shit yourself, which is embarrassing because you're attached to someone. Stage two is uh, you're jumping out of that plane, and, you're kind of, and your whole brain's like, I don't know what's happening. It feels like I'm falling over, but I haven't felt pain yet. What? And the whole thing's just like, mm-hmm, and you, you don't know what's going on. Um, and then when you're t- tandeming, like after 10 seconds of that, they have got you in position. So you're facing down and then they like, you know, say get your hands out or whatever. And, and you're just in that position and you are free falling and you're told to arch, which is like get your pelvis down and your arms and your legs back. And, and that's the position you fall in, right? Uh, but when you jump by yourself, you have to do that yourself. And I thought I could do it. But when I first jumped, my brain just went, nope, fetal. And, <laughs> and I just like... I kind of freaked out a little bit because all you have to do literally is put your arms and your legs back and get your, st- get your, get your hips forward and then you'll spin around a bunch. But eventually, uh, thanks to like wind resistance and science and shit, you will, you will be in the correct free pull position, right? As long as your arms and legs are right, you'll be fine. But I was, we, we ended up just tumbling and we got into a ball and like it clearly wasn't working and I was freaking out just because I didn't know what I was doing. So after a 2,000 foot drop from 14,000 feet, so we were at 12,000 feet, and uh, my instructor was like, this guy ain't going to get it, so I've got to deploy his parachute for him. He tried deploying it, <laughs> so he pulled out the pilot chute, um, which is like the little one that pulls out the big one, 
he pulled out the little one and then it got kind of caught in our little tumble ball. So he had to like pull out loads of the parachute and then throw it to the side. And then eventually uh, I, my canopy terrifying. deployed. It was fucking awful. But the worst part was I was 12,000 feet up in the air and uh, I couldn't even see the floor. I had no idea where the floor was. There were clouds fucking everywhere. It's completely by myself. The radio doesn't work when you're that high up. And I was just like, so <laughs> just I'm just going to float for a while. <laughs> and I knew, I knew, I knew where we jumped. I knew how far away we were, and I knew that if I jumped, uh, if I was like down at five thousand feet, I could see the airport and just circle around, and I'd be fine. But um, when I, I jumped, uh, what the level I was at, the winds were doing thirty miles an hour. So the parachute uh, by itself will do eighteen miles an hour in any direction you face it in. Right? If you're doing, um, if you're, if you've got the wind. Uh, behind you, go, you know, going your way. If you're going the same way as the wind, you add 18 miles an hour to whatever speed um, the, the the wind is blowing at. So the wind was blowing at 30 miles an hour. If I was, um, if I went with the wind, I'd be back in Manhattan really fucking quickly because it was. I'd be doing, I'd be doing 48 miles an hour, right? So I had to face into the wind the entire way down uh, constantly. Um, even then, I was doing like 12 miles an hour backwards, even facing into the wind. So when I eventually got down uh, below the cloud cover, uh, I had uh, I could see the airport, and I was like, "That's a fucking long way away." Um, so I just aimed for it the best I could, and just like just carried on going at it. And eventually, the the radio cracked in. They're like, "Yeah, you ain't gonna make it. You're gonna have to ditch it in a random field." <laughs> so not only had I been up there for like five and a half minutes, and my legs were dead from the harness uh, like digging into my legs, but I had to ditch it in a random field. Uh, so they drove out, and I could see the little guy waving at me, and he gave me directions to land it properly, and I did that fine. And I managed to land it on my feet, which was good, but then, because my legs were completely dead, I landed it on my feet, and then it was just like, three, two, one, timber, bang, and just hit the floor. Um, and it was it was terrifying. I cannot wait to do it better next time. <laughs> awesome. Mm. So when's your next job? Uh, like a week or two. Got to wait for some money, really. So uh, it's it's a crazy expensive sport to do, especially when you start buying stuff, which I haven't done yet. But it, you know, in and how general, much is a jump? When you start off, the jumps are two twenty, um, and then you have to like get you have to get there. So for me, getting a rental car is like another hundred and forty bucks. Um, so it's it, yeah, it's like three hundred and forty for like a, a day's fun. Uh, so. <laughs> It gets cheaper, like now it's down to 160 and, and when you when you're qualified it's down to like fifty fifty dollars a jump, so it's not too bad. Not bad. Yeah. It gets uh, it's it's pretty crazy at the moment, especially. Especially doing it every other week, you know. Sometimes. Yeah, it's fun. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll get a uh, GoPro done so we can put up a link in the show notes uh, oh, that'd for be awesome. when I actually do it properly. But I don't think they want you fecking around with GoPros when you're still learning, so I'm gonna have to get a few more done first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I guess we should get back to coding since you think yeah. other people code stuff. Code stuff. All right, well, so what is up with the PHP League? What the hell is it, and what's going on? Oh, um, oh well, well, me and Alex Bilby were trying to come up with a slogan for this, and we think this. Well, I suggested the slogan should be, "We're here to make awesome packages and chew gum, and we're all out of gum." Um, I'm not sure if that will stick. But the, the the League of Extraordinary Packages is just... I know. Shut up. <laughs> it's um, it's a group of, of PHP developers. It's like something that, your mom helped you write. But anyway, keep going. Well, do you have a better one? 
You got a better slogan? I like top it. of my head. I'm not like a marketing genius. Here. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I did. It was off the top of my head about five seconds ago. He was. Uh, well, Alex's was. We bloody love PHP, so you don't have to. I'm not sure if that's any better. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, slogans aside, the PH, uh, the PHP League of Extraordinary Packages is a group that produces um, well composer packages, PHP packages in general uh, that are framework agnostic and uh, that are completely unit tested, that are PSR two, that follow best practices. They're just like the the best examples of, of PHP code we can do, and the entire idea of it is that we are. Uh, solving problems that have so far never been solved in PHP um, or we are solving problems that haven't been solved very well. So there's a couple of packages that, um, oh, I'll see if I can grab up the full list in a sec. We've got a few packages, like I'm currently working on a Twitter uh, API because Jesus Christ there are no decent Twitter libraries for PHP and there never have been. I don't, I don't understand, like every time I need one I realize that they're all shit and I just muddle by with whatever one happens to be like reasonable at the time. I think I'm currently using like some random fork of, of um, Abraham's Twitter OAuth thing <laughs> that got PSR'd and composed a little bit and it's just some random fork by some random dude and I don't even I'm not even sure if he ever updates it. And that's the best thing I could find. Like they're just they're all just awful. Because um, the last project I had that needed Twitter, it, I was of course using PHP and I was just like Fuck this! And I wrote yeah. code to interface with a Ruby script, and I did everything Twitter related in Ruby. And I <laughs> that's that's not even unreasonable to do. I was really tempted it was to do so that. much faster. It's just awful. And on, I kind of ended up doing that in a way because most of our uh, with Capture, most of the stuff we do, obviously, um, uh, we we send it off to to Gim and um, oh, sorry RabbitMQ that that hits up random work is written in different languages so we've got I've got a Python one that sends everything out to Twitter I literally just send it a payload and say um, it's uh, here's, here's an accident what do I do? I can't remember this exact worker I send it a user ID that it's from and then it hits the database and finds all the access tokens and all that bullshit um, and then I, I keep sending other parameters like you should send it to this user and it will, it will like DM it to somebody but then you send it the text and it will prepare the text right and that's that's all it does so in PHP, we'll have a little thing that says, hey, we want to tweet this to somebody at some point, and then the rabbit worker actually deals with that. So because the rabbit worker is um, can be written in anything I want, I wrote it in Python, and Python has an amazing Twitter library. It's just really good. Um, going through it line by line, I've noticed a couple of weird quirks, but like in general, it's a really good library. And so I've just taken that, and, and I'm, I'm going through the process of porting line by line Python code to PHP, <laughs> which is wow. mind-numbingly boring. So it's taken me a while, but I'm getting there. And um, that's the great thing about workers, though. Like, yeah. just for any of the listeners that haven't tried it, that is the advantage of workers right there. You offload something, you don't have to worry about it right now. You usually don't have to wait on it, and you can write it in whatever language works best. And, yeah. You know, and if it's like your workers need to have like a sole responsibility as well. Like this worker sends emails. This worker sends text messages. Right. So if you're or like this worker handles fucking card processing I don't even know but like there should be one thing that it does and it should do them really well so even if even if like the language doesn't make that much difference to what the worker does there, there could well be uh, you know Python might have the best code package for X ever um, it could be that Ruby has like this like one specific package which is just the best in the world and you can't find anything as good in Python or PHP or Clojure or whatever the fuck 
So you just make that one worker in that, and then it's fine, right? Awkward. Awkward silence. I didn't hear what you said. Uh, yeah, but yeah. So that so we have uh, we're trying to do that for PHP because like a lot of these packages just suck. Um, we've also got some packages. Uh, we, we have the OAuth two server, which you may may know from Alex Bilby. Um, he's he's moved it over to us. Uh, we have a color extractor, which is pretty cool. Um, I looked around PHP. I, I spotted this on um, uh, phpdeveloper.org. Does a list of recent packages from from Packagist. And I spotted it on there, and it was all static, and it was a bit, it was a bit crusty. Um, but I asked him if he'd bring it over because it worked. It worked really well. It just wasn't necessarily up to scratch. It wasn't PSR two. It wasn't, wasn't. Um, it was missing a lot of things. It didn't have a license or a README. So I just, I kind of brought it over and, and tied it up a little bit, put a noob interface on it, and you can just hit an image, any sort of image, and get the top X colors in hex codes. So oh, I. That's uh, awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, the, I know there's a really good one in Ruby. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, I want that. So you can just, uh, you, uh, the test image, the unit tests I added, uh, we have a picture of Spongebob, and if you, if you run it, you get like an exact shade of yellow. So <laughs> it, it works really well. Um, um, there's a StatsD package for working with StatsD. That's, um, StatsD is a, a nice way of getting random metrics into Graphite. So um, if, you have, like, if you have Logstash reading your logs, you can say, every time you spot a message with this type of thing, you should increment something in graphite and do that via statsd so that's just a nice package you can put it in there and be like when someone clicks on your website you can just say like statsd increment by one and whatever you know count views on a certain item we have a dependency injector which is uh, kind of a merge of the orno um dependency injector and the illuminate laravel container it's faster than all of them at everything and it does features that the others don't do when I say faster, it's like a micro micro optimization on the two of them. But there's a I'll, I'll link to a, a benchmark article where basically always in the lead, apart from league. So in, in like consistent second or third place is Orno or Illuminate, but DI is always ahead of both of them. So it's kind of merged the features of both of them, added some new features, and it's faster than both of them in every every instance. Um, That's actually really cool because there's been projects where I like DI, but they're not in you know, like a framework or anything, mm. and it's just totally not worth the effort to try to write. Absolutely, you can just drop it in. So yeah, that's pretty sweet. Problem solved. Um, there's a there's a Grunt library, which is it's unfortunate that it's called Grunt. I might see if we can rename it, but it's um, it's very similar to um, uh, Capistrano. You can like remote uh, execute remote code. Or remotely execute code on other servers in a in a like a very specific way. Right. So you, for JavaScript, it's different. Yeah, JavaScript's a completely different thing. So it's unfortunate that they have the same name. So that's why we might try and name rename it. But whatever. There's an OAuth one client, an OAuth two client. Uh, we have GeoTools, which is a set of like geographic related tools built on top of the the GeoCoder and React libraries. They have a bunch of really cool features in there, like. You give it two coordinates, and you can and you can ask exactly how far that is in like a number of meters, feet. I added feet because I'm British, obviously. Um, you can have uh, kilometers and miles, and it will. You can take into account the curvature of the Earth or whatever you want. Really clever maths in there. Um, that's very well unit tested, so that's a good one. Uh, L2 client I've already said, and Monga. Um, Frankie Dijonge did a uh, did a MongoDB abstraction there, which has been around for a while. So. 
there's a whole bunch of cool stuff and we want to get some more stuff in there we're trying to get across the imap class like fetch i think if you've heard of it we're trying to get that across and a few other things so nice um, yeah there's been a real focus in the php community on better quality you know extensions and libraries and more unit testing it's been very refreshing because you know that's something that ruby's had for a while and it's always made me jealous because most ruby gems you know if it's fairly well-known one it's going to work great and it's going to be unit tested whereas in php we haven't really had options for that in a long time yeah um Although the one downside is that we're kind of noticing the trend that some other communities have been through, where PHP has so far gone from what is unit testing to we need to unit test everything immediately, all the time, every day, before we build anything, and and every line of code ever. Have you spotted any of this? Like, yeah. TDD seen, uh, uh Grumpy programmer Chris Harches argue with quite a few people. Cause yeah. He's a testing advocate, but he's not crazy about it either. So he understands if you're doing an MVP that might be gone in a week, you don't you don't want to waste your time testing that usually. Right. And like people they're sitting there building out their little Laravel applications. Because obviously Laravel is has become the new de facto I don't know much about PHP, I'm gonna grab a framework, I'm gonna grab Laravel. Right? Thanks to thanks in part to people like Jeffrey Way on NetTuts pushing Laravel as a, a great easy go to use this framework thing, right? But something that that um, something that Jeffrey Way is also doing is if you're uh, he's focusing very much on on unit testing, uh, which is fucking brilliant. It's always good to know how to unit test, especially with like a specific a specific framework, because you can then take those lessons and apply them directly to your code base, and you know exactly how they work. And he's got a load of resources on there, and that's great. But the difference is. There are people like Jeffrey Way and Chris Hartjess and, and you and me that know when we need to write unit tests. And there are people that have just started doing PHP that think you have to unit test everything all the time. And they are seeing these people talk about how good unit testing is and unit testing fucking everything. So if you're building version one, which might not even get any real users, right? Let's just assume that in a lot of instances, especially with these people that are brand new at PHP, that version one is a prototype and version two is going to be completely different, right? If you spend all of your time writing unit tests before or after the development of this version one in the, in the same version one lifetime, you are wasting a lot of time because version two is not going to use those unit tests and it's going to be totally different and you're just doubling up the amount of time it takes you to actually create that. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's kind of an evolutionary thing because you see how awesome it is and then use it too much. That kind of happens yeah. with most things. Yeah, think, and then you kind I of get we'll to that. will grow out of it as a community. It'll eventually get, you know, more stable. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I don't mean to sound like I'm against people unit testing, not by a long shot. Like, I'm amazed that PHP in the last two, three years has gone from you would never see a unit test anywhere near anything. <laughs> like, if you're, if you're downloading a... a a package or a piece of code from somewhere, you'd be damn lucky to find unit tests unless it's from oh, yeah. Amazon. You know, unless it's from even the Foursquare SDK. I'm not sure if that has unit tests in the core. Like you'd be lucky to find this stuff in a lot of downloadable code. But we've gone from nothing to way too much. And people are trying to people are trying to unit test every level of their controller. Right? Unit testing your controller to me sounds mental. I know this is a really big thing in the Laravel community because you can, 
But I don't know how many man hours around the world are being wasted because someone, uh, because Jeffrey Way said, hey, you can unit test your controllers. This is how you do it. And then 500, you know, 5,000 developers just spend a month unit testing their controllers for no apparent reason, don't build a, you know, a final project. And then what, how, what, who did that help? <laughs> People too, they only know about unit testing. They don't know about acceptance test or integration yeah. test or anything yeah. else. And that is what you want for your controller testing usually. You know, you yeah. If you had that, you don't need to unit test your controllers. But most people, right. they have no idea that it is there or what the difference is if they do know it's there. And that is a huge problem that hopefully will get solved in time as knowledge progresses. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Like, you have to know what to test. And I always, I, I keep my testing to components. So, like, obviously everything in the League of Extraordinary Packages is going to be unit tested to balls. Um, but then other stuff, uh, you don't necessarily need to. So you don't necessarily need to unit test your controllers because an acceptance test will, uh, acceptance test will do that for you much better. Um, you don't... Unit testing your models is often a very good idea, but you have to work out if you necessarily need to. So if you're trying to unit test a model and you're using a framework that's got an ORM, then you know that the... F the ORM itself has been unit tested a lot, so all you're really testing is the model. Now in my model, I always wrap up any ORM interaction inside the method. So it's not, I, don't, I don't just have like an empty model and then use like fucking ORM syntax in my controllers because that's silly, but I have methods that are like, find many active locations by merchant ID. Right, and it's a really verbose name because it does something very specific. I don't try and like only have four methods ever. So it'd be like find many of these where you know by this, and I know what that's going to return. It's going to return a couple of locations, right? And what is the benefit of me unit testing that model? Because I know that I'm going to get locations back. Maybe I can write a unit test that says um, make sure I have. You know, do a for each and make sure every single one of the, these instances is a location or something. But that doesn't really help me at all. And even I if like I the, do test it, I like the idea on. of unit testing your models because it also schema, depending on how you mock your DB. You know, so yeah. you don't. That's mm, mocking mocking the DB scares the shit out of me as well. This is something else that I've had like a lot of discussions with people about. People try and mock the entire ORM layer, so they've got all this crazy code, and they're like, "When I call this method, make sure that like it tries to mock this exact response on these methods in the ORM," and it just gets fucking crazy. All you need to they do is mocking just... is like a religion. But I I agree. If you're gonna mock your entire database layer, what's the point of testing your database layer? Because it's not the same code by that point. Usually, what I do, and a lot of people hate it, is I'll just programmatic, programmatically fire up a test database, seed it, run tests against it, and then delete it. A lot of people don't like that, but to me, that's the only real way to test what's actually going to happen if you're going to test your model. Yeah, you just have like a test database, and then you actually hit that. You, the, the mocking thing gets taken to too many extremes, and people are like, you have to mock everything ever! This is another example of like extreme code. But like, if, you, if you're actually mocking your database, 
or you're mocking the, uh, the the DB interaction logic for it, then you're not really helping anyone. You're getting a bit crazy there because if you like, even even Fabian Potenza agrees with with this angle. Like, uh, if you mock everything, then you're not actually testing anything, right? You're just Got testing it. some fake bullshit that you've asserted, and um, and it's right. Like, don't be scared to have a database and 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 actually have data in there. Don't be afraid to seed it with data that you know what is going to be, and then and then test that that comes back. Um, but again, if you're doing that stuff and you're building an API, there's no need to hit the models because you can make sure that every single model in your entire code works perfectly. But who cares? Because you you might not even be using that method anywhere in your code base. If you have an API, then the only interface you need to actually test is I hit URL X, I get result Y, and then you know that it's the right code. If you're unit testing every single possible combination of arguments to your model, that might not be very helpful because you're not necessarily even using that fucking code anymore. It might have been, you know, for, a, for an endpoint that doesn't exist now. Um, I can agree with that for an API, but it, because you will test all the endpoints. But for, say, yeah. like a large-scale normal application that, you know, has views and controllers and all that kind of sort of thing and actually, you know, generates HTML in the views, yeah. you might have, you know, say, five developers working on it and they're just going to trust that this one method in the model does what they need. And so yeah. that's where I think it comes in handy. If you're doing an API, eh, not so much, because you're going to test the endpoints, and the endpoints usually closely match the data. But if you have you know, actual views and stuff, and especially if you have multiple developers, I think it's handy there. Uh, yeah, I can see that being handy. The only, the only trouble with it is that you have to know exactly what data is going to be there, right? So if you're, if you're trying to say, give me you know, give me the closest five locations, for example. This is something, you know, just location-based shit that I work with. Then you have to know exactly what location you have to be able to say, here is some coordinates, and from these coordinates, I expect ID 1, 2, 3, 7, and 12 to be returned to me, right? Because those, the, I know that those are going to be the closest ones near this current location. So if you're seeding your database in a very specific way, then yes, in some cases, doing that is fine, um, because hitting if it's an API it's obviously very easy because you are you are testing those exact same responses in a general does the JSON contain this data sort of way. But if it's a form and all sorts of bullshit and MVC stuff, then yeah that's harder, I agree. Um but you have to be able to seed your database in a very specific way and then know exactly what's coming back. Because unless you're testing unless you're putting in exact results and knowing exactly what the IDs are gonna be so that in your later test you can you can check that exactly those have come back, then it's useless to you, and and most of those most of those model methods are going to be just like, do I get some data? Is there seven of them? Oh yay, the limit method in my ORM works. I'm so glad limits functional. I'd say so much of that. It's it's really just sad. It's like you were saying, people are testing for testing's sake instead of knowing why and what they're testing. Yeah. Well, I was chatting to Zach about it, and, and Zach gets Miller, you know, how his approach to pretty much everything in life is, fuck it! Um, his, <laughs> he kind of, the example they use at SeatGeek is that they haven't unit tested everything ever. They, they haven't tested for everything in the world, because half the time the green light gives you a false, a false sense of satisfaction, right? Um, so what they do is they build their code, they build their MVC, obviously their components, they're like, if they release a jQuery plugin, that's going to have tests. If they release a PHP plugin, that's tested balls. But if it's like general, this is my controller, this is my view, fuck testing that. Um, what they do is if, if they discover a bug, then they write a test that covers that bug so that no sort of regression can ever happen. 
be that uh, is that you know if that regression is a some sort of dodgy merge or someone like reverts some code because they're an asshole or because somebody makes the same mistake a second time in potentially another location um, they always write unit tests for for problems but they don't try and avoid ever having problems by by you know pre-criming those bugs they actually actually just find the bugs and then and then fix them and then make sure they never come back instead of trying to create a false sense of security in the entire company by assuming that nothing will ever break because of light's green. That's, that's kind of the more mature way. You know, it's a company that probably has legacy code and it doesn't yeah. make sense to lock a developer in a room for six months to test all that legacy code. Yeah. Just write a test for the bugs as they come. Absolutely. And this is like a multi-million dollar revenue company as well. So like, anyone who's even thinking about commenting or throwing back like, yeah, but you, if you don't unit test your code, it's going to fucking break everything. It's not the case. They've con been continuing to make millions of dollars, uh, right. it, it, turning over millions in dollars for a couple years now, and they're fine. So if you're making version one and you expect like version one of your application to have no users or not that many users or less than 100 a month, you don't need to unit test your controllers. You'll be fine, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah, what I mean? Customers do not give a fuck if you have unit tests. Uh, exactly, yeah. You don't want to create buggy code, so you should be as careful as you possibly can. When you find a bug, you should fix that and you should unit test it. But don't wait. make your clients wait an extra three months for a feature because you've decided to unit test every line of code ever in four different ways. I think is the moral of that. Agree. <laughs> um... Do you have anything else to write about? I feel like we covered we covered that part of it. I mean, yeah, we were just talking about like the the PHP legal extraordinary code and whatnot, um, and having some cool packages. Uh, we we we're an open group. Anyone's welcome to come along. We've got a website up. The um, I don't think I've been saying that we're not officially launched yet, but I guess I just officially launched it or something. Um, we have a website, and I'll put it in the show notes. And there's a there's a set of rules that a package needs to follow. Um, if you want to if you want to join. Uh, if you want to get your package on there, it will help get you, you know, plenty of people will be looking at it, you'll get coverage. Um, we'll give you advice so you can probably make it better. Maybe we will learn something. Maybe we become friends. Um, as long as it follows the rules or intends to before version one, then absolutely throw it over and we can uh, we can get working on it. Make it good. All right, people. Sounds good. Yeah. All right, so... I know you got to run soon. I want to do a fun little segment here. What is like some horrible code you wrote, or you know, whatever? You came back later and you're just like, "My God, I should get shot." <laughs> um, the admin panel for Capture. Uh, we've got this like backend admin dashboard, and just every everything about it was awful. Uh, I started working on it exactly a year ago um, when I started working for Capture and I was working I'd moved out of my house up north and I'd come back down to stay with the parents for like a week or two before well, while my visa got sorted out so I could come over and um, I was working on the admin dashboard and I was like my office was either my parents kitchen room uh, like dining room table or the local pub with my friends that I hadn't seen for a long time and I was trying to get work done whilst drinking with them so it was a mixture of me being very stressed under very heavy deadlines and severely affected by cider. Um, but I bashed this admin dashboard together. It worked perfectly. 
but just the code is fucking awful. Like half of it's copied and pasted around the place. Like the controllers are like every method's about a thousand lines. There's no encapsulation of anything. It's just like procedural that happens to be wrapped in a few methods somewhere. And it's just the worst shitty piece of code. And um, and I should definitely be shot for it. It, it just is awful. There's so many hacks in place. I actually had to do a search for Phil Hack. I created a new, created a new little tag called Phil. <laughs> I just went through, and every single time I saw it, my stomach just turned. I'm like, oh, oh my god, we've been running this, but it's worked perfectly. With you know, it's it's held the stood the test of time, but it's just a fucking mess. And everything's static, and everything's gross, and everything's class mapped, and, and um, it's got like four different coding standards in there because I just didn't care. Um, so me and Megan, the new the new capturer uh, developer, have been going through it and just, just fixing capture. Capture, K A P T U R E, capture employee. Oh, okay. I thought you had named yourselves and were calling your your new hire a capturer. Oh no, capturers would be. I I I shoot myself for that too. <laughs> uh, no, I just I don't know, man. Everything about this code was a piece of shit, but it worked. It was just some Twitter bootstrap mess that worked, and uh, we've just been going through it and and moving everything over into like. Step one was like maybe just make some some static classes that can contain these methods, right? So for any common functionality, it's just like take take that and put it in some static shit over there for a minute, and then that can be by itself. Good. Okay. Step two is maybe we'll inject that or wrap it up with a with a container, um, and then we we got to the point of like having some nicely nicely separated, well encapsulated code. The the controllers are now like drastically smaller. Um, we've moved some logic over to to the API. Um, oh fuck! Because we we had <laughs> this is even worse. We had a V two API, um, and which is what version two to two point three of the application was running on, uh, the the actual iPhone application. And then we had um, version three of the iPhone application, which is currently available, was running on a brand new API made of Laravel that we all put together. And there was some logic was just for the just for the users. Some logic was like for the admin panel. There was all this really weird mix of, of logic and of shit because the guy that made the V2 API sucked. It was just the worst piece of code. Um, and so there were some bits that I did not want to untangle or get, even get vaguely involved with. I, <laughs> I had two functions in the admin panel. One was called call API. The other was called Call old API, <laughs> so so even like in the in the latest very very latest version of uh, the admin panel with version three in the app in the app store running perfectly, there was still ten percent of the of the calls the admin panel had to make was being made to the old API because it was such a shit pile and I had so many other things to do at the time that so I was just like nah fuck it I ain't touching that we'll be fine, and I very nearly deleted the V two API the other day because no one's using the version two of the uh, iPhone app anymore. And I realized that half of our shit runs on that. <laughs> I was like, no! <laughs> so we've, we've been recoding all of that sort of stuff to make it all, everything's V3, everything's, the things that we need to be unit tested are unit tested and not a bit more, and everything else is behatted, and it's, and it's lovely. But um, the last month, they've just been a mess of like fixing all the fill hacks. Good stuff. Mm. Yeah, How about uh... yours, man? The recent job change have been slowly you know, taking over things that I wrote years ago. Yeah. And that has just been, it's like getting dragged through hell by your fingernails. It's been, you know, <laughs> I sent uh, 
guy messaged the other day and I said, you know, this code just makes me so sad. And the worst part <laughs> is that a lot of it looks like I wrote it. Looks like what? Uh, uh, the code makes me sad, and the, the worst part <laughs> of it is because I wrote most of this code. Yeah. Uh, have you, have you had that moment where you looked back at it and went, who the fuck committed this? And then you looked at the history logs and went, yeah, that was me. <laughs> yeah. I can usually tell by the comments because I, I use a lot right. of language in my comments. And so it usually stands out pretty well. Or, you know, the best part is when I go back and there's just zero comments at all. That's usually me as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, That's usually me when I'm drunk. I don't comment when I'm drunk. <laughs> I used to love... Going old school here. When we were first starting up IonAuth, we were working on it together. And uh, IonAuth, I don't know, is a uh, authentication package for CodeIgniter. Uh, it's got a couple users left. Oh, yeah. But uh, me and Phil were working on it. And before lunch, Phil would write beautiful code. After lunch, he was in England. It's pretty normal to have some beers or ciders or whatever at lunch. After lunch, oh. the code was just complete shit, and we had to rewrite most of it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that happens. That happens. <laughs> My worst one, I think, though, it was online off, and you called it, and you cussed me out about it. I don't know what was going on that day. I just had a complete brain fart. But I wrote, like, the shit ton of code to parse strings by, like, commas. So I was doing, like, error logging, and... So I was just parsing all these strings just by commas. And you're like, why not just use an array? And that was probably the biggest head desk of, you know, fairly simple code. Because <laughs> an array was perfect. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember that. You were like, you were concatenating stuff and then like, then, then passing it and then exploding it and imploding it and doing all sorts of merry go, you know, put your left foot in, your left foot out sort of stuff. And then I was like, dude, just array it and then implode it. And you're like, oh yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, those days happen, but luckily no one notices them because I, I mostly work by myself. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore, man. You got people looking yeah. at your shoulder now. Oh, yeah. The PHP League. People are looking. People are looking. And I can't get away with, uh, with benefits before. We're like, whenever a code was a bit crap, you'd be like, well, that's just how we do it in Coding Nighter. <laughs> like, yeah, no, everything in Code Night is just a leaf class or PHP 4 style static code. So that's just how we do it around here. Now it has to actually be good because the, the whole PHP community gives a shit and not just Code Night people. So that's that's the thing the about Fuel was you never had to consider, should I use a static or not? In Fuel, it was just, we just use statics. No, it wasn't. It was in Fuel. It was, we used both, bitch. So like in every, in every time it was, uh, there was static, that we used the static multiton pa uh, pattern, which was VATA, which is basically a factory pattern. So you have a static interface on top of a class, and that same class would have um, would would have a constructor. So there would be one factory method, which was later renamed to forge method. I don't know why the fuck. I think it was related to the word fuel, and Dan was being weird. But um, it was basically a uh, yeah, you'd call the um, the forge method. And, and if you didn't pass the first argument, then it would be the default instance. And then every single class had an instance method. So you could re reference multiple different instances. So it was pretty cool. It was very coordinatory and it wasn't modern and it wasn't uh, you know, dependency injectory, but it, was, it beat the shit out of the way that Kahana did things, which is what we were aiming at at the time. Gotcha. And um, yeah, like with every single class, you could either access things uh, statically and, and they would do it in a certain way. 
or you can access them via an instance method and it would work in a slightly different way. So essentially we used magic to create two interfaces depending on the access method, which is a bit weird. But one example would be like if you used, um, if you created an instance uh, through the forge for the session library, then uh, you could you could set, you'd create the variable, create a session variable from the instance, and then you do save this, say, uh, set this, set that, set this as flash, and set like four things, and then hit save, and it would save all of them in one go. Whereas if you if you use the session static approach, it would be like bang, save it right away. That's actually or not always, too bad, and that's yeah. interface wise, that's not too different from how Laravel looks from the outside. No, right, exactly. That's exactly it. It looks the same. Obviously, Laravel has the benefits of like there's a lot of clever shit happening under the hood. But when people say that Fuel was like entirely static, that's like a complete misnomer. It was you could access things statically, and it would work statically. It'd be like a I just want to quickly do this. I don't want to create an instance and then fucking set something and then save it just for one thing. So that's three lines of code, and one would do fine. But if you wanted to do it, if you wanted to create three lines of code and then do some other clever stuff with it, you could totally do that too. But people never did that. They just saw the static code and then bitched and moaned about it and didn't use it. <laughs> I never really dug into the guts of Fuel, but I looked at quite a few apps that people had written. Right. And it was just statics everywhere. And so I just <laughs> assumed that was yeah. the way it worked. But I guess, you know, you had a lot of people that were kind of converts from CI. And people were like, we right. couldn't do anything staticy there, and this is cool. So we'll just use it everywhere. That that was part of the that was yeah. Fuel came out when PHP five three was still pretty fucking sexy and bleeding edge, right? It was out before Laravel, and it was out before um, way before PHP five four betas. It was like the the reaction was, why the hell are you using PHP five three? We can't use this. Wow, because it was like two thousand and ten or something, yeah, and uh, it was back. It was back there. And and yeah, because uh, people are coming from Code Igniter and, and and they're fed up with the this syntax for everything, and because like Kohana was around and they were static and everything, people people wanted static stuff because it was new and it was cool and you didn't have to have this all the time. And all they were really saving by switching to statics was like, like on any average method call, you were saving like maybe six characters, Pro probably more like saving three characters. You know, and it was just ridiculous a lot of the time. Um, but people people wanted that, and, and they saw it. So they saw that they could do it, and they did it without thinking about whether it's a good idea or not. Is, uh, is Fjord even active anymore? What's all of it? Fjord is going, yeah. Uh, Frankie DeJonge and uh, uh, One Wizard, Harrow uh, Verton, they are, they are kicking ass. Um, Joma quit, because uh, he's, I think he's moved into politics. Um, what Dan? Yeah, he's uh, president of Belgium or something. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> he's doing something pretty. I cool. never would have guessed that one. I haven't talked to him in years. No, I know. I haven't. I haven't chatted to him either. But no, uh, Harrow is still actively doing things, and they're, they're they're working their way. Instead of like what Laravel did was they just Taylor just went fuck you, start again. Laravel three, Laravel four, tough. Which is fair enough. Like the, I feel like they had a slightly smaller community, and and they could do that, and it wasn't an issue. And and if it was an issue, just don't upgrade. We don't care, right? Was was kind of the message that they gave. So the the Laravel three to Laravel four upgrade was essentially the exact same upgrade that Fuel one to Fuel two would have been. So Laravel three and Fuel one were like the same thing. Like I never cared about L three because it was the same thing. But what what Laravel four is now and has been secretly in development for the last year 
was what Fuel 2 was going to be, which is why I quit. Um, Because it's already done. I don't need to help make another framework when the exact thing I want is already done. But So Laravel 4 took the fuck you recode approach, which was troublesome but worked out, luckily. Good. Uh, Fuel PHP, however, are trying the the, the iterative step approach, which again is completely respectable. It's just a different choice. Um, So instead of recoding everything to use composer packages and instantly being PSR2 instead of instead of uh, camel uh, underscores, they are slowly replacing segments with composer packages. They've released events, they've released a, a dependency injector container, they've released loads of these extra packages and they've, they've started implementing those packages by just removing other chunks one at a time. And they've got to like 1.6 now, was the last release I saw, um, and they're getting really close to, to getting there. And then, you know, they kind of replaced some more of the stuff and then the last step I suppose will be and now we've recoded the the wrapper, the MVC layer itself, and boom, it's done. So it's getting cool. there. I actually uh, glad to hear that. I don't know if it was even active anymore. Yeah, no, it's still it's still doing well. Um, it's not got the same hype or like buzz or like woo that Laravel's got, but nothing keeps that buzz for very long. I'm sure someone's going to make something that that will make a bunch of noise later on, and all the Laravel guys will be going, "Why aren't we using this amazing new thing?" But <laughs> As long as people are coming together and using like, as long as people are sticking to PSR and, and sharing as many packages as they can, then the the next big hot framework won't be as much of a of a fuck for you that it has been in the past. Right? Like if something comes out that's brand new and you want to use it, yeah, um, yeah, because like switching from CodeMeta to Kohana, recode everything. Yeah. Oh, you want to go from Kohana to Fuel? Recode everything. Oh, you want to go from Laravel 4 to Foo Framework that someone makes next year? Cool, yeah, take your composer packages with you and maybe change your routing structure. Exactly. <laughs> it's not that bad. I recently did some work with Slim and pulled in Eloquent, and yeah. boom, you can reuse all your models. You just have to rewrite the routes a little bit and not much mm. there. It's pretty nice. Yeah, right, and, and switching switching between Laravel 4 and Silex is almost identical because both of them support the idea of um, of service containers. Uh, service providers, sorry. So they still have kind of a lot of that uh, similar to facade, but definitely the uh, the dependency injection stuff. You just pull stuff out of Pimple, or you pull stuff out of the Illuminate. Uh, and and thanks to the service providers, there. Anyway. In theory, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's good times. Um, I think my next blog post is going to be like framework ag uh, framework agnosticity which is a word I've made up which is why it's hard to pronounce uh, but it's just about like making your packages framework agnostic and not being a dick about it like I keep seeing all these uh, packages and it's like a an amazing module that handles integration with this API and then like you read in the depend in the requirements oh wait it only works with Zen framework and you're like oh motherfucker what why why does it only work with Zen framework that's really annoying and it usually works out that the one guy that made it happens to use Zen Framework, and he wants to do it that way because it makes integration with his config file slightly easier. And whenever I see that, I'm like, ah, oh, you, you asshole, you lazy asshole. Because all you have to do is make a generic, um, generic API interaction interactor, whatever it is you're doing. Make a gene- generic geo tools, whatever it is you're building. Build that, and then build a ZF2 hyphen whatever the name of it is, and you make a glue package. That requires the original package, so you wrap that shit up in the in the 
framework specific way if that framework has a framework specific way and then everybody else in the entire php community gets to use it but if you spend that extra if you if you cut off that extra one hour's time it takes to, to do that you're being a complete prick because no one else gets to use that so now i have to go and build one and i have to maintain it and support it and deal with people bitching on issues instead of maybe we all build we all use the same one and we all help each other i have to you know you're just doubling up efforts. So uh, we need to focus on, as a community, on building framework agnostic code, which is another driving thing behind the League of Extraordinary Packages. We have generic code you can use anywhere, and we build in a, a Laravel service provider, and we build in a Silex service provider, because they're easy. There's just one file that you put in there, and then the framework knows. And then any other framework that people want to build, if someone wants to make a Zen framework glue package, they can make that and they can require hours and it'll be easy as piss. I like it. So the moral of today's story is write generic packages, assholes. Yeah. Or I will have stern words to say to you next time I see you at a conference. <laughs> <laughs> you going to any conferences coming up? You got anything happening? Um, no, I don't actually. I... Didn't make it out. I was going to do Gotham JS, which was in July, I think. Okay. And, uh, we were going to hang out because it was in New York, but that I like completely timed it wrong and didn't even realize that it had been scheduled, and it was it was my fault. Ah, uh, you so, fucked up. Fair next, enough. I might do Ski PHP. Oh uh, yeah, I've submitted the talk for that. I submitted three, so it's like. Ah uh, shit! I put two in. I really want to get that. Yeah. It's like, we will pay for you to come here, and we can ski, and then maybe we talk about code a bit. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> what talks did you submit? Uh, I submitted um, automated uh, automated API testing and um, some other shit that I can't remember. Uh, some some DevOpsy stuff, I think. I can't remember what it was. Okay, they don't conflict with mine. So. Cool. Uh, Zach Kitzmiller submitted a bunch as well, so hopefully we all get them and we can all get drunk again. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, of course. Uh, I've I've submitted to Ski PHP, and I'm going. I'm I'm just turning up to PHP Northwest back in the UK. Um, I'm flying home uh, to go to Dibby in Newcastle. I'm speaking there about like DevOps, all the things. I think the talk's called "Become the Master of Your Own Universe" of like how you can go from being just a PHP developer who like happens to write some code on a VPS now and then to to like fucking controlling your entire network architecture with a bit of code and, and using Chef to, to distribute your you know, distribute your architecture and spread your applications across multiple applications and then how you test all that and some of the madness. So it's fairly it's fairly high level across like a wide DevOpsy topic, but it's like like it will give you a to do list of things to go learn if you're currently if you currently feel like you're just a PHP developer, you can go and go, right, okay, I need to learn this, 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 this. These are the reasons as to why this is when in my career it might be useful and, and blah, 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 and, 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 and how they all fit together as well. Um, and so, yeah, on the way to go and do that, I'm just going to pop on, pop into PHP Northwest. And um, I said I might try and give an unconference talk on what the fuck is the PHP fig doing at the moment and who are they and why do I care. I actually think that'd be pretty good because there is a lot of confusion over yeah. How much? I think the main confusion is how much control do you guys assert, and you guys right. pretty much don't assert any. You don't. No, that's cool. No, I mean they're literally. We are making a bunch of standards that we ourselves want to use, uh, and and people are welcome to use them. That people have said that's a cop out. Some basically, some people say 
Uh, we should be trying to force standards down everyone in the entire community's throat. We should build them into the language. We should force everyone to do it until everyone uses our, does things our way, which is valid. Python did that. Pep8 is like built in. You know, um, like if, if you don't indent your shit correctly, it don't work. Fair enough. But we're not doing that. Um, the other, other people say that whenever we say you can use it if you want, but you don't have to, it's a cop out. Um, and some people say, how dare we call ourselves the PHP framework interoperability group? And I say that's because we talk, that's because we talk about PHP. If we talked about JavaScript, we'd be called the JavaScript interoperability framework group. Anyway, there's a lot of crazy things going around. Basically, we're a group of developers that represent various different projects that have come together to help us um, unify and solidify our code bases, not to build one mega framework or one mega code base, but so we can we can all help, we can all build standard packages, type in on an interface, and any or any object that accepts that interface works perfectly, right? Or our code looks the same because we've got the same standard. So like with the with the logger interface, you can say, I would like a logger interface, and then I'll use that for logging. So with that, you could pass it monolog, and monolog would work perfectly. Or you could pass it the Apache log for PHP log, and it will still work perfectly. So instead of having to create 30 different fucking package, uh, uh, driver or like adapter classes in each package you ever make that wants to log anything, you can just say, oh, well, yeah, I'll take, a, I'll take a logger interface and then I'll log with it. Thanks. And that's all you have to do. So we're currently working on HTTP and caching. Um, caching has just gone for an entrance vote. So we should hopefully within about a month, that should be a, that should be a real thing. Awesome. Um, we've got a few other things. There's a standard PHP dot block. Uh, standard being worked on, which I'm coordinating with the actual PHP doc team, um, and and Don Gilbert from um, from the Joomla team. So there's a lot of these standards being worked on that are really going to help us and anyone that wants to use them. It will definitely help them. If they don't want to use them, that's fine. Just don't write a dicky article about it on the internet. <laughs> well, I think you could definitely be a traveling salesman giving that talk. Mm. Yeah, I hope so. Or I can I'm just, trying, uh, yeah. or, I can, or we can just talk about tabs versus spaces for an hour and see what happens. That's <laughs> that's what it's going to boil down to in the end, anyway. Yeah. I'm trying out a new kind of talk for me. I'm working on a, a soft skills talk called "Don't Be an Asshole." Oh, nice. Yeah. So, like, I ran into a ton of developers that just don't seem to have that switch of, hey, if I want to keep my job or if I want to get a raise in the foreseeable future, I shouldn't be a complete dick to work with. And uh, so, yeah, I'm work, You know, I'm focusing on how do you not be an asshole, but how do you not kiss ass either. And it's <laughs> real simple shit, but it seems to be something that a lot of people just don't Wait, hang on. get. Hang on. My, my phone be don't be an asshole in what context? Uh, so, don't be an asshole, but also don't kiss ass. So okay, it's so it's like working like person interaction type of thing. Exactly. It seems to be... Uh, yeah, it's, it's that fine line. Yeah, it's that fine line between your code sucks and like, I'm really sorry to mention this and you're amazing, uh, uh, but the, you broke the life belt. <laughs> and not even just stopping there, but also, you know, how do you interact well with management? And stuff that yeah. sounds bullshitty, but stuff that I think will actually help a lot of people because you can... I can explain it in, say, engineer terms or thinking. Yeah. There's a lot of the things you read are from... Yeah, you know, management and marketing types, and it just sounds like complete bullshit to us engineers. 
<laughs> how to efficientize your workflow in six steps. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. uh, no, no one needs that. Yeah, and you don't want to be that guy with the uh, with the coffee mug from Office Space. Like, hey, if you could just go ahead and uh, send a pull review to uh, update the composer dependencies, that'd be great. So yeah, this exactly. this <laughs> it's a it's a really hard process, and I'm kind of learning it now. I mean, I've I've managed one or two people remotely through like emails, and a lot of the time it's been open source projects. So. I've just like assigned them an issue and been like, we really need this feature. It'd be great. But now that I have two people sat next to me that I have to like talk to and ask like, what are they doing? Like, what 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 does your time look like next week? Can you fit this task? It's really hard to not just be a cunt, uh, like even <laughs> like even accidentally, just like, oh yeah, no, this this bracket should be on the other line because that's not PSR two. I mean, that's kind of arsy. But um, other things like, I I see yeah, I can see what. Like I can years see. Ago, you'd be like, "What the fuck is wrong with this bracket? Goes here, bitch." Well, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna make it so that Jenkins automatically sends that email for me, so I don't have to feel bad about doing it. But, uh, <laughs> but now it's even even things not thin, things that aren't like that. Things that are like, I can see what you're doing here, but the entire approach is shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's really hard to to bring that across. Like, you've used a static class and then passed an instance of that same class back to the original static method of that class. Like, ah, just make the whole method like an instance property and then use this to access a property instead of just stupid code things, like design, design practice things. Like they've, they've sent you some code that works and, and then trying to push back and say like, it's good, but it could be better without being a prick is really difficult. So advice on that is always, I think, helpful to people on, on the receiving side or the giving side. Because then they can both understand where the other person's coming from. Interesting. I haven't given it yet, so it could be complete shit. But yeah, well, don't fuck it up. Yeah, no yeah. pressure. <laughs> nice. All right, so I guess you need to be going. Yeah, I've got a pop. A fair bit of time now. So. Yeah, we chatted for a while. Uh, luckily, the person I'm meeting is running late, so that worked out. Um... All right. So uh, thanks, everyone. Hope you oh. enjoy hearing us rant. What's up? Wait, I remembered something. Um, everyone has to go and donate to my bike ride because uh, we're trying to fix AIDS. And if you don't donate to me, then you you like AIDS and you you like making people have AIDS. So you have to donate at least five dollars to uh, to the the, the charity. Um, and I'll put a link in the show notes. It's a good cause. So as yep. developers, we all make you know. More than most people on average, I would say. So if we can't get a few bucks to help out, people less fortunate, fuck up. Right. And I have to cycle 300 miles for the pleasure of doing so. So uh, I, I would, would pay be... extra just to get like video footage of you almost dying. Yeah, there are a lot of people that said, here's 20 bucks, get a few cameras, uh, get a few photos of you being fucked up. Like, <laughs> uh, my, A friend of mine did a 100-mile bike ride for charity and had bones sticking out of his leg after bouncing off a car. So... Tell you what, if I if I get hit by anything, I'll make sure the paramedics get a, a couple of photographs and put them on Twitter. Just uh, I have an a just for you. idea. So I'm going to start a separate charity fundraiser. Yeah, and it will be people paying me to find you and hit you with a car. <laughs> as long as that money goes towards the same oh, cause, that, that sounds fine. This sounds like help the best. With your hospital bills. This sounds like a game of Pac-Man just waiting to happen. We're just going to be driving around some suburban area. I'm going to be cycling like mad and you're going to be trying to chase me down. It's going to be great fun. It's, it's awesome. I like it. Yeah.
Well, no, now I'm actually out of things to, to add to the podcast, so we can definitely wrap that up now. Well, have fun. We'll talk in a week or two. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk to you soon. And guys, if you have any suggestions on who you'd like us to get on the show, uh, just, just tweet at us at PHP Town Hall. Um, I'm fairly convincing, so you can usually, you know, find some way to drag them to, to give up an hour of their time. So give us suggestions on people, suggestions on questions, um, and if uh, we'll, we'll try and we'll try and work that out for you. Alright, thanks everyone. See you guys. Bye. So hot. Yeah, I have to take my shirt off. I got all the Yeah, I've got my shirt off. This is sexy.